0: Hello and welcome back to the Panic Room Podcast, episode 4. Apologies for the late delay in this episode. We've been having a few um, technical difficulties, shall we say. Um, so that's been sorted now, so hopefully we'll be back on track with the episode uploads. This is officially episode 4, but it's technically episode 5 because I did record an episode with Connor um two weeks now and there was just a really weird feedback on one of the mics and I tried my best to edit it out but it just there was no saving it so you might hear a few weird feedback sounds in this episode but it's not as bad so hopefully we can all just overlook it and yeah so let's get into the case today we're going to be talking about Ed Kemper also known as the co-ed killer he was an american serial killer and necrophile And this case is heavy, (laughs) put it that way. Little trigger warning, we are going to be talking about rape, murder, necrophilia, really gory stuff. So again, if you're sensitive to that sort of content, maybe just leave this one out. But we digress. This full case is wild from start to finish. Not only because of how gruesome the crimes were, but because of Ed's heavy mummy issues and the reasons behind his killings and his really rocky relationship with his mother resulted in him lashing out violently against these women and yeah so don't think i've got much else to say other than that and welcome to episode 4 of the panic room Hello and welcome back to the Panic Room Podcast. Today I'm joined by Elliot. Hello. Welcome, your first time on the show. Oh, you nervous? Yes. You actually. should be. <laughs> this case this is, is a, a lot today. You yeah, you get used to it. The first time I had done it, I was like, ugh. I was having <laughs> full on an RVB. So I've got another true crime case for you today. We love. This time it's not an unsolved one, but so... Oh, even we, better. We have a perpetrator and he has been sentenced and incarcerated for these crimes, which he should be, by the way, because this case is... Into- you've not researched this at all, I have, have you?
1: Yeah, Elliot, it was, and I was like, I love the Yeah, you so. wanted to keep it,
0: keep it as a surprise. Well, this... Well, knock your socks off, That, uh, But this full case is just wild from start to finish, from the murders oh. to him getting captured, everything. So today, we're going to be talking about Ed Kemper, or also known as the co-ed killer. So if you've not heard of him before, Ed Kemper was an American serial killer and necrophile.
1: What's a necrophile?
0: A necrophile is someone who has sex with dead bodies.
1: Oh, right. So, I don't, I don't ask, we're, we're going
0: down that route, just <laughs> word of warning, uh, trigger warning. But yeah, we're going to be talking about murder, rape, necrophilia, all that sort of gory details. So if it's not your cup of tea, maybe leave this one out. But we we digress. Um, he murdered 10 people in California between the years of 1964 and 1973. So, he was 6 foot 9 And around 300 ish pounds. That's a big glass of water. That was, he he was a beast. (laughs) Sis was large and and very much in charge. She's a (laughs) mammoth. Of course, she's a mammoth, of course. So, yeah, this was a big, big guy. Um, He gained notoriety not only because his crimes were so gruesome, but also because his willingness to talk to the police so oh, once yeah, he got captured he, did, yeah. he talked in like really avid details about the crimes and the reasons behind it he's one of those ones he likes to kind of right yeah so he provided a lot of key research for the FBI and the behavioural analysis unit do you know in Quantico when that was first kind of starting out they wanted to look into the behavioural patterns and the psychology between serial killers and mm-hmm. their victims and why they commit crimes that is my phone I'll be turning that in silence people like
1: that really like worry me because why would you even do it if you're like so yeah. keen to like give away all your yeah literally like, and like
0: the thing about Ed as well it's so weird See when he's talking about I'll play a few clips um, in the episode but when he talks about his crimes it's he's almost like talking as if he's describing what he done at the weekend like it's very just like yeah then I killed her and then I chopped her head off like it's not oh. and it's just so weird and he's so willing to talk about it and it's almost like he's not even ashamed about it he thinks it's like normal in a way
1: I hate to sound sick, but I'm excited.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is a really gripping case. Um, he's also the inspiration for the character of Buffalo Bill. Have you seen Science oh, of the Lambs? Right, That's yes. where that came from. Um, a bunch of other kind of pop culture references. He's very well known and notorious. A lot of people don't talk about him as much as the kind of Ted Bundys and Jeffrey Dammers, but yeah. I'd say he's probably he's one of them. Him. He's up there. He's very, very sick mind. Um, but before we get into the killings, it's important to kind of get into his earlier life. Because a lot of the reasons why Ed murdered the women that he did, and the reasons behind it, was to do with his childhood and his upbringing, particularly his mother. Okay, so we're going to get into that first, just to settle you down and kind of get you into the headspace of this absolute freak. <laughs>
1: you know we love a backstory.
0: We do. So Edmund Kemper was born on December eighteenth in Burbank, California, in nineteen forty-eight. His dad was Edmund Kemper the second, making him Edmund Kemper the third technically, and his mum was Clarnell Elizabeth Kemper. He was a middle child and he had a really troubling upbringing. It was actually his mother who was the kind of source of this really bad upbringing. She wouldn't Mm -hmm. physically abuse him, as far Mm -hmm. as I could tell, but it was a lot of emotional and mental turmoil throughout his life. She would constantly undermine him. She just basically saw him as this unwanted (coughs) nuisance. Ed kind of later said that she thought it was because he reminded him so much of his father and they had a kind of failed marriage, so she took her anger out on him. Yeah, not not good. She was also an alcoholic very, very heavy drinker. Oh. And they think she was possibly suffering from bipolar disorder, but she was never uh, diagnosed with it, so couldn't tell. But a lot of right. psychologists who went with this case was like, that's probably what it was. Um, as I said, mother and father did not have the most loving relationship. His dad worked um, on, yeah. like, nuclear bomb tests, like a nuclear right, bomb okay. site. And he came out and said that suicide missions in wartime and the latter atomic bomb testings were nothing to compare, nothing compared to living with Clonel. Oh. So this, guy, this guy's out, testing nuclear bombs, war zones, the lot, and he was like, living with, my, her. <laughs> living with her was worse. So that speaks a lot in her character. She seems like a real fucking sunshine to me. <laughs> like a horrible woman. Something you're after. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even go there. But um, they ended up getting a divorce, surprise, surprise, in 1957. And Ed went to go live with the mum and his two sisters in Montana. So a kind of broken family situation. Um, Ed later recalls, as I said, that he thought that he reminded his mum so much of his father and after that divorce happened it just kind of went downhill from there.
1: It got worse, right?
0: Yeah. Um, She would make an effort not to be overly affectionate towards him because she thought it was going to turn him gay. Which, don't see that line of thinking, don't see where that adds up, but I mean, okay. Um... I'm just going to play you a little clip from an interview he did in 1984 talking about his mum just to give you a better understanding from his perspective of the kind of love-hate relationship and turmoil he had okay, towards her um, and also his voice is just so creepy. Oh but, no, um,
2: <laughs> my mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry <laughs> and very sad woman. I hated her but I wanted to love my mother. And I watched the alcohol increase. I watched her social life drop off. I watched her get bizarre. She had terrible pain from her life, earlier life, her upbringing, uh, a failed marriage with my father. I'm a constant reminder of that failure. I hate to distill it down into such uh, into one word realities like that. There's a lot that leads into that happening, but that is what happened. They represented not what my mother was, but what she liked, what she coveted, what was important to her, and I was destroying it. It's
0: hard to not feel bad for him, because although I don't excuse what he did as an adult, I think as a child, that would have been really hard to go for it. and I don't think any child should be,
1: No, not at all. you know,
0: treated like that. And I think she does Especially have a lot. Especially from your mum. Yeah, your own like the mother. Do a have of
1: cases when their dads like that. It's you're not like as bad. Enough, but it mm-hmm. seems like more personal when it's the moment.
0: Yeah, with him it was like a total complex he got later on life towards like any women. Yeah. And he goes on to talk about that as well. Like Obviously the way you're brought up, your parents' relationship or your relationship with your own parents kind of defines how you interact with adults in general when you grow up. Yeah. Because you learn everything from your mum speaking, mm-hmm. walking, or your dad, whoever's bringing you up. And I think that had a lot to do with his view of women. Ooh. So it's one of those cases that yeah, it's, yeah you do feel bad from... Like, baby Ed, I feel bad. <laughs> Adult Ed is horrible. He and <laughs> he's not it. And he, he deserves to be in prison for the rest of his life. Um, but yeah, there you can just hear him talking about just how messed up he was, his mother, mother's influence, and that whole thing of how he seeked so much approval and so much love from his mother, but at the same time he despised her. And I think the reason why there was so much trouble in Ed's life was because he didn't know what to do with that displaced anger. I
1: see.
0: So, yeah. And... Yeah, that's basically the motive behind his crimes, it's important to kind of remember that as we go on with this case, because it was his mother that was the root of his anger, it was the reason why he was attacking women, because he felt he didn't have control over his relationship with his mother, but he could have control over his victims, in that kind of sense.
1: That's horrible. Yeah, that's, that's mad
0: two sense in it anyway. So, pretty early on, Ed started showing really concerned signs of behaviour. He said, um, it was around his kind of early years, he started having fantasies of killing his mother, around about eight, he said. Yep. And he was often caught cutting off the head of his sister's dolls, you know, destroying items that were resembled women dolls, Barbie dolls, all that sort of stuff. And then he moved on to killing neighbourhood cats.
1: Oh. Which is a, animal it's
0: a big red flag with cedar colours. <laughs> they love killing cats and dogs. Um, when he was ten, he buried a pet cat alive in the ground. Oh. And then once it died, he dug it up, decapitated it and mounted its head on a spike. Oh my god. Yeah, not good. Then at you 13... Know, do you want to just go to like Not ten. Do you want time? to just like, yeah, just take me like a time out or something? <laughs> get me in, involved in a sport, get me into boxing, like, what? What are you doing? Exactly, being the hobby. <laughs> um, then at 13, he killed the family cat. Uh, he said it was because the cat like liked his sister more than him. So he killed it. And I know that's not funny, but I can just imagine him throwing a tantrum, like, trying to pet the cat, and it runs to his sister, and he just storms off in, like, in a huff, and then <laughs> the next day it's found dead. But um, he <laughs> kept the pieces of this, so he kept this cat, cut it up, and then kept the pieces of its body in his closet. And the oh, only reason no. he disposed of them is because his mother found them.
1: That, that's disgusting.
0: So she found a dead cat's bits and pieces in her son's closet, and was just like, no, what, get it. Just like,
1: just she was just like, me. get
0: out of it. Just get out of the house.
1: That's what Min needs.
0: She needs help, clearly. Yes. <laughs> um there was also an incident, so he had a crush on his like um primary school teacher. Uh and his sisters were like teasing him as big sisters do. And they were like, Oh, why don't you try and kiss her? Like, give her a kiss, winding them up and he said, If I kiss her, I'd have to kill her first.
1: Oh Did You, you so, just feel like just get
0: out him yeah let's just take Mom him to nice is... asylum somewhere, although they oh, can't say that in a mental, mental facility, but let's maybe take him for evaluation, you know, yeah. get him a hobby, I don't know, but,
1: but Mum, take him a dive somewhere.
0: <laughs> but obviously, straight off the bat, he's creating these connotations between women and violence, so even when he's talking about being loving towards, like obviously I mean, it was a stupid wee boy crush, but if you break it down if I wanted to kiss her, I'd have to kill her first it's this whole like thing of, I can't be for women unless I'm violent towards her, or holds her against her complex sort of thoughts yeah um, he also said later on he said in an interview as a young boy he would sneak out of his house with his father's bayonet and just go and sit outside his second grade teacher's window and just watch her oh, like just watch her cut out of the house of with a bayonet as well it's what like a bayonet? I think it's some sort of knife no I think it might be a gun I will do a quick yeah, quite good. I think it might be a gun with a knife on it. If I'm that's the one I'm thinking of, they use it in like wartime because his dad was a war um, veteran. His dad fought in World War Two or was involved in it somehow. Um, and yeah, he would just sit outside our window and.
1: It's a knife, sword, or shape spike-shaped weapon. So. A knife. Your Wayne is sitting saying that he, he needs to kiss someone, he told them, and you get bayonets lying around. No,
0: literally. Like, why did you have to lock, lock them, them up <laughs> or just get rid of them? <laughs> um, he also had a lot of near-death experiences as a child. This is just a fun little fact. I don't really know if this is getting to do with you know how he turned out. Um, but he said at one point his sister tried to push him in front of a train, and another time um, think why. <laughs> they pushed him into a swimming pool and he almost drowned. But okay. I, I think maybe that's just like a little bit of like.
1: That's just, like, sticky, character. Yeah. That's like when, like when, like, Hitler almost died when he was, like, three. He's yeah. almost
0: mm-hmm. No, his mum wanted to abort him as well. His mum wasn't going to have him and then decided not to. And the whole world is not thanking her for that. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I feel like he thought with his sister and definitely his mum, he was bullied by women from the very start of his life. So it's this kind of resentment. Um, as I said, his mum was not a good, good relationship. She would frequently belittle him, humiliate him. She would particularly touch on the fact of his size, because at 15 he was already like six foot four, I think. And she'd be like, you're, you're a freak, like you're a weirdo, like all this sort of stuff, just making him feel really shit about himself, which no one deserves that, and no one should have to go through that. No. Not, especially if not at I'm, 15, when you're so like... a the tall man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a tall glass of water, that's... <laughs> nowadays, well, he's a serial killer, but if he wasn't... Um, so he ended up running away... Oh, also as well, this is a fun fact. To find out his mum used to lock him in a basement.
1: I wonder what they're talking.
0: So, like at night, so I think from what I could gather, he had his own bedroom. But when everyone went, when the family was like settling down and going to sleep, he was made to sleep in the basement, and she'd lock him in. And she said the reason for doing that is she was worried that he was going to try and like rape his sisters and like harm them in the night. Oh, which to That's be fair, sense. she's That's just not. A... <laughs> she's kind of onto something, but yeah, I, I'd be lying if I didn't think that she probably. Gave him ideas, as, along with yeah. fucking him up mentally. But yeah, so not a nice woman. Not Mother of the year was not it. No. N- uh, so he ended up running away at 14, no wonder. He actually tried to go and live in with his dad, um, but he already kind of had his own family by this point. He remarried, he had another kid. He stayed with him for a short period, but after a while his dad sent him to go live with his grandparents. And they lived on a ranch in North Forks, so countryside, farm, kind of... Him some good fresh air, do some good. yeah. We better rehab. It didn't. Um, his relationship with his grandparents again were not the best, it was more to do with the fact that his grandmother was also a very domineering woman. Right. And he said that he felt that his grandmum would constantly belittle his granddad, um, basically saying that she was just constantly emasculating him and making him look stupid in front of people, making him feel like a really, really small. Which oh. I'm assuming she's a mother of Clarnell, so. I wouldn't be surprised if the grandma was a bitch and all, yeah, but
1: apple doesn't fall from
0: the tree. Yeah, so we've got this theme of women making them feel insecure. 1964, at age just 15, Kemper was sitting at the kitchen table with his grandmum and they, just, they had an argument, they had a tiff, and he got so enraged, he stormed off, retrieved his grandfather's rifle, entered back into the kitchen, and fatally shot his grandmother in the head. Oh my god. Killed her. Dead. Shot us with Yep. Just, they had an argument. I don't know what it was about, and they just. So she was the first? She was the first person to oh uh I cow. It gets worse. Uh, some reports also said that she received stab wounds post-mortem, but I couldn't really... I can only find a few sources that said that, but he was enraged anyway. He, he shot her and killed her. And then his grandfather returns from going out, grocery shopping, getting the messages, and Kemper went outside and shot him in the driveway. Killed him as well. Oh, my God. Now, he says the only reason why he killed his grandfather... It's because he didn't want to walk in and see his wife lying dead in the kitchen, oh, which well, shows mind. a bit of empathy. But at the same time, you've just shot and killed your grandmother and your grandfather. You can't be that sorry.
1: If he was that empathetic, he could just walked out and said, "I was killed, Don't yeah.
0: Or I like did. sort it out. Go get an ambulance or yeah. You know. But weird. You find that with a lot of like Eddie shows a lot of sympathy for what he did, but he also doesn't take back the fact that he did it. Yeah. In that kind of way. It's just he's very emotionally stunted. So right after, we, after killing his grandparents, who does he call? His mum. His mum. His mother. And tells her what he's done and she just says phone the police. She's like, just what are you gonna phone the police? I think she at this point she just knew he was born oh to be. God. Yeah. Um so again we're getting this whole thing he hates his mother, but he's constantly going for for approval or for comfort. Yeah. That kind of love hate relationship. eh uh, I mean, if she was the first person he thought of, obviously he was a panic and he's just killed his grand and grandma and Need to see more. Needs his mum for comfort. So he confessed the crime. He was like, yeah, I did it. He didn't try to deny it. He sat and waited for the police to come at the ranch. He was, wasn't was trying to run or anything. And the police arrived and he was arrested and taken into of custody. Um, so because he was so young and because it was such a violent and kind of unprovoked crime, he was evaluated by a court psychiatrist and they originally diagnosed him with paranoid schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. So he was diagnosed with a mental illness. What we was, was This was when he was 15. So he was a minor, he couldn't... That's just so bad. Yeah. Um, very, very young. Uh, yeah, and at this point he was six foot four as well, so even if the grandma... Not that she got a chance to put up a fight. Like, he would
1: have won. He, he, do you know
0: what I mean? So I think that at that point they were like, he's young, we can't really sentence him as an adult, but he is a danger Dangerous. to society, yeah. and he's hard to, you know, control. So he was sentenced, and he was... Sentenced to spend his sentence at a state hospital. I just said sentence like five times <laughs> in that sentence. I don't know why. Uh, this was a maximum security facility and it was basically like a mental health prison. Right. When prisoners are not mentally capable of spending time in a normal facility and also because he was so young as well. So
1: he would... Some of p- those places in worse so?
0: Definitely. Yeah. And I'll, get, we'll get onto that, but you're very impressionable because it's kind of less security... You're yeah. mixing with other people, a lot of dodgy characters. So he was sent to this facility and he wouldn't leave until he was 21. So from the ages of 15 to 21 he was in. So very much his full adolescent life was spent in custody. That's kind of important when you go into his emotional age Yeah. and how he's very, when it comes to women, very emotionally and mentally kind of stunted. He's still in that kind of yeah 15, preteen kind of mentality. Um, so, while serving his sentence, he went through various evaluations and tests, and obviously because he shot and killed his grannies, clearly not mentally sane. He was then re-diagnosed from the original paranoid schizophrenia diagnosis to a less severe condition called personality trait disturbance and passive-aggressive type. So, <laughs> I don't know what that means, but... Passive-aggressive? Yeah, yeah. They also did um, intelligence tests on him. He was found to have an IQ of 145. Oh, my God. Which is... Above Well, well, Einstein was one hundred and sixty.
1: Why is it always the smartest people? Yeah, you think?
0: Because I think if he actually had a good upbringing and applied himself, he could have been like he could have had, somebody, had a great life. He would have been very, very smart man. Obviously knew what he wanted. He could have done amazing things, but sadly was. that wasn't the case. Um, when he was in there, he was described as a model prisoner said that they'd ever had any problems with him. Listened to all the rules. He was trusted so much, in fact, that he was trained to administer psychiatric tests to other inmates. So not only was, you know, he was free to kind of mix with other prisoners, he was also given a very high up job. And I was like, I have a theory
1: right now. Before we continue, is he just doing this so he can go and kill again?
0: Yes. And you'll learn as well. He learned a lot of
1: He's definitely them tricks, right <laughs>
0: tricks of the trade in this mental institution. Um, he said he learned from working there and obviously being there for, what, almost no, six, six yeah. years, yeah. He learned how these tests functioned. Obviously, and yeah. that allowed him to manipulate his psychiatrist. And he also said that he was able to then convince them of his better mental state, shall we say. So he was able to kind of make a great movie. Yeah. Well, funny you say that. This is, if you've ever seen Mindhunter on Netflix, I heard of it. Great show. You used to watch it. Ed Kemper is one of the main people that are the interviewing oh. in it. He's really good. Um, I think there's, there's documentaries on him and stuff. I don't know if there's a kind of Lifetime style movie. Yeah. But there really should be because this case is yeah, a roller coaster ride. Um He also said that he learned a lot from sex offenders that he registered these tests to. For example, they said that they told him that if you were going to rape a woman, you had to kill her. Is to not leave witnesses, and he said he also learnt a lot about um, discarding evidence, how to kind of evade capture. So, for all intents and of purposes, he was in this mental health facility to better himself and try and, you know, make him an upstanding citizen. And if anything, it was a masterclass in murder and manipulation. To... Yeah. Oh, Which I mean, to be fair, this was in what nineteen sixty four, so. I'm assuming nowadays it'd be a little bit more contained. Yeah. We didn't even really know much about serial killers back then and how they're so good at manipulating people. No. So I don't think they're really on top of that.
1: And like funding um, the funding is the floor, though. Exactly.
0: So despite all this, on December the 18th in 1969, on his 21st birthday, Ed was released. Okay? Now, he was released on parole, and part of his parole agreement was that he had to attend like regular psychiatric meetings just to keep an eye on him and evaluate him and make sure that he wasn't Slipping back into his old ways or he was still mentally, you know, capable of living safely in society, right? So the only
1: thing he had to do was think that he mastered?
0: Yep. The only thing he had to do was go to these meetings. I don't know what the whole deal was, if they were like every week, every month, but he did a few psychiatrists. Yeah. Um, Upon release, his doctors told him not to go back to his mother's home. They said, cut all ties yeah, with her, way. she is the reason you're like this, she's really bad for your mental health, just don't speak to her and go on, right, okay? Very much, no, no. Despite that... Ed was released back into custody. So, straight away, straight off the bat, she, he's back he living with Cornell. So, all that for... I mean, I don't really know if there was any... I don't know if they cured him or helped him in any way, because yeah. at the end of the day, he could have been lying. But even if there was a smidge of improvement, all that is basically out the window at this point. So, don't understand.
1: You wonder why people take these back as well?
0: Yeah, literally. Like you think from the mother. Well, the mother obviously hated these guys; didn't want him. And he yeah. was very much, as much as he did want her to love him, he was very much just like a hated She was horrible. Yeah. So you think even
1: regardless if they had a good relationship, yeah, I think of he had. Would not be like helpful.
0: Well, I don't think she really cared at this point. She was, <laughs> she's probably just she as bad over. as him. Um, so Kemper late, later demonstrated further to the psychiatrist that he was rehabilitated. And on November 29th, ninth, nineteen seventy four, his juvenile records were permanently expunged, so his record was wiped clean slate, and there was no record of him killing these grandparents. Very, very dangerous. And the okay.
1: system years ago was
0: a insane, hot mess, insane. Um, now remember when I said when we touched on the fact that he's kind of using the trick of the trade and knowing how these meetings yes. work to yeah. Yes. Um, this is really important because during one of the meetings, he was active. Well, he was actively actively killing throughout these. All these meetings, first start. Sure. Right. When he was going to these meetings, he was out killing and committing these crimes, um, and even on the last meeting that he attended, he still managed to convince doctors that he'd been fully rehabilitated, and that's when his parole ended, his um, record got expunged, and he was a free man. whilst he's them. out on a murder spree, killing these young women, so he was clearly very manipulative and very almost charming in a way. Mm, Learned yeah. how to yeah, toy with their, their heads. So he's back home. Um, he started attending a community college. This was in accordance with his parole requirements. Um, and he, he really wanted to be a police officer, actually. So he wasn't actually thinking of right, starting right. off going out killing. He, I think, to some extent, wanted to try and get his life somewhere and get back on track. Right. And he really had this insight in his head he wanted to become a police officer. Um, but he got rejected because of his, si- his size. There was height and weight restrictment at oh, the yeah, time. He was like girl, yeah, Because um, he was really tall and, I mean, he wasn't really fat. I suppose if you're that tall, your weight's going to be yeah but yeah so he he wasn't allowed to do it Um, because of this I don't know if it's because of this or to do with this but he had a really weird relationship with his local police department so there was like a local bar where all the policemen would like go and drink on their like days off or like on off shift and he would just like go and like sit at the bar and like talk to them and like they all knew him they they called him like Big Ed that was like his nickname and they were like like, oh Resentment yeah, like, like, or like, I, well, them. I think he kind of looked up to them. I think he maybe saw them as, like, big brother, like, or, like, you know, when you're in school and you kind of look up to the year above you. I think he yeah. idolised them and wanted you to, like, be them. Because I think it was that whole of, like, they're in a position of power, men with power. And he was very much a man who never, never had, had power, because he had women always telling him what to do and stuff. Um, and that's important as well, because, again, he's sitting talking to all these policemen, and they're out trying to find this murderer, and he's and sitting and a pipe with them. Uh, honestly, uh, the whole thing is just mental. Um, but they basically described him as a friendly nuisance. They all knew him. Big and Yeah, sit and talk to him. That's scary. Okay. Weird. Very, very weird. Um, he had a series of jobs uh, before settling into his main job, and he worked in the California Division of Highways, so he was basically like a highwayman. Uh, and this was... This has aided him when he went to find his victims, because he would drive about and say, yeah, find that's. them. Um, during of all this by the way his relationship with his mum was constantly rocky ongoing, going constantly arguing fighting neighbours were complaining about domestics and stuff so he saved money and he moved out to live with a friend finally got rid of Clarnell. Oh, he's got a nice clear. he's got a by Cornell <laughs> no longer <laughs> or is she <laughs> um, so he's kind of getting his life back on track he's got a job you know stuff like that um, despite this still complained about constantly not being able to get away from his mum she would regularly phone him, just show up and pay him surprise visits. So, again, another really weird relationship because she claims that she hates him and he's this big freak, but she's still... It's kind of like Bates Bates Motel vibes I'm getting, you know, that kind of... Yeah. Just overbearing mother. Um, And he also really had a really bad financial difficulties at the time. So he was constantly going in between moving out and moving back in and and it was just all... It was just not... Yeah, he needed stability, I think, and he just wasn't getting it from anything. Um... So it was around 1969 that he started fantasising about committing these murders. Um, When he was working at his highway job, he would just drive around, and he said he'd often see young female hitchhikers, and he started fantasising what it would be like to pick them up and take them somewhere and murder them. Okay. After this, he started storing plastic bags, knives, blankets, handcuffs in his car, but he never acted upon it. He would just have, he would drive by the women in the car knowing that he had all these weapons and knowing that he could do it but he's not going to, and then he would drive away so that was initial oh, that kind of yeah that kind of he got a kick out of it um then that kind of the thrill kind of wore off and he started picking up women with knives and guns and weapons mm. in the car but he would just let them go so it went from thinking about it and kind of seeing them take them in the car not doing anything and then eventually he just had enough and he acted upon it and said he had to kill these women. It was like an arch. He said he picked up around 150 of these women and never did anything, always let them go. And then the urge just became too strong and he was like, I'm going to act upon it. Which is so scary. Can you imagine being one of those 150 women?
1: That never go into
0: I mean, like, thank fuck. Like, well, like, obviously, the women he did kill they weren't so lucky but yeah you'd just feel so relieved like mm-hmm. jesus christ
1: because everyone says like oh well, it could be me but, like, yeah, but be, like, but it, it literally could have
0: been you uh, and it was the 70s as well so people were just like getting into cars like hitchhiking like no one was really yeah. like
1: i was not worried really. no
0: no never but um on may 7th 1972 he committed his first murder oh. He was driving in Berkeley and he picked up two 18-year-old students. So all these victims are students. That's why it's called the co-ed killer. Co-education, I think that stands for. It's an American term. Um, And it was... His mum worked in a college in America. She was, like... I don't think she was a lecturer. I think she worked in, like, a receptionist or something. So it was these kind of... University... Connected. Yeah, connected. Um, These two women were mary Ann Pesch and Anita mary Luchessa. And he basically said he'd give them a lift to Stanford University. They're looking for a ride and... So he took them to a secluded wooded area. He handcuffed Mary Ann and locked Anita in the trunk. So he's got one in the trunk and one handcuffed to the kind of handle of the car. Right. He stabbed and strangled Mary, and then he killed Lechais in the same way. So very. But
1: is my like biggest fear like, like stuck in a car with someone uh-huh. you can't get out and you it. can't
0: do anything because the door's locked and they've got a weapon and you don't. And he's like six foot nine. These are like young women are yeah. 18, they're teenagers, you know what I mean? Like, you get no chance. Um, when he later on talked about the crime, he told police uh, uh, during the struggle, he accidentally brushed against Mary boob and he said he got really, really embarrassed and really flustered and, like, apologised. Like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. And then still killed her. So, it just shows how mentally stunted he was when it came to, like, His women and sex. Like... Just like He's just, like, a big, awkward teenager. But he's not, because he's, like, a really vicious killer, but there's certain things that make him almost, like, human. Like, humanises him a bit. Yeah, Because you feel bad about his mum, the fact that he's so, like, awkward and like, oh, sorry, I touched your boob. Like, really embarrassed about a woman's breast, but then he kills him and, you know? Weird. I'm, imagine that
1: was you. Yeah, like, imagine a like, guy's, like, trying to stab you. And he was like, oh, like mean no. like,
0: like, I would feel like, what like, they, mate, they go then? <laughs> like, what the fuck? We could remind. Um, so after they were killed, he put both of them in the trunk of his car and drove back to his apartment. Whilst on the way home, he got stopped by a police officer because he had a broken taillight, but they didn't search the car, so he just got away like scot-free. With two dead bodies in the car, but that could have been Easy that. Point. He is very white. <laughs> <laughs> is he a white Caucasian male? <laughs> <laughs> um once he got home he took the bodies into his apartment where he took photographs of them, had sex of course, with them, and then dismembered them. Oh. Bash bash bosh, done. That's yeah. But that's how he that's how he was. He was like, yep. Mm-hmm. Step, step, step. He said he didn't really enjoy killing them. it was more just the humiliation afterwards.
1: It was more the sex.
0: Mm-hmm. Because I think in his head he didn't think he could have sex with a living woman because he felt so unconnected sexually with women. But yes. he had no problem doing it when they're. Yeah, exactly. Just get your home, get over it. <laughs> um, <laughs> he put the body parts into plastic bags and then he later abandoned them at a nearby like mountain preserve called Loma Prieta Prota, Prieta. I don't know where that is. Somewhere in California. Um, now, before he disposed of the severed heads in a ravine, he engaged in oral sex with both of the de- de- decapitated heads.
1: With just the heads?
0: Just the heads. So he cut them off. That was a common theme in these killings. He would cut the head off, perform oral sex on them, and then and he said the reason he did this um, is because he described in an interview how it was like a fantasy for him because the heads were like a trophy. And he basically touched on the fact that, like, the head is where everything is. Like, the eyes, the brain, the mouth, like, that's the person. The body's just, like, extra, if that makes sense. Like, the, your head is, like, who you are as a person. So it was almost, like, symbolic for him to humiliate these women in this way. That
1: is...
0: Horrible. Like, I told you, I, to I told able. you it's horrible. It gets worse. So late in August, Mary Ann's skull was found on the mountain reserve, However, Anita's remains were never found. They never found her body or her head. Or Which is horrible. Well. No closure for the family at all. Like, can't imagine. Um, and he's never came forward and tried to say what it was. That's so you know, sad to hear that.
1: When, um, what's the name of that couple? Maya Henley and Ian
0: Brady. Horrible that be boy, and they've never disclosed what he is. Horrible. Was it that? Myra Henley and Ian Brady. Yeah. Are you thinking the Moors murders? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. That's them. Um, poor poor family. Um, but on the evening of September the 14th, 1972, so this is four months after his first two victims that I've just told you, so we're moving Neck. on four months down the line, he picked up a 15-year-old dance student named Aki... eko a- a- I'm sorry, I'm probably butchering that name. She's Korean. Eko ku I'm going to call her Aiko. Uh, so she was actually looking for a lift because she missed her bus to dance class. Mm, and cool. she really didn- she didn't want to miss her dance class, so she got in his car and he took her in. Horrible, she was 15 as well. Like, she just wanted to go dance ballet and <laughs> that's a I know it's horrible. Um, he drove this to...
1: like, like a highway situation, hmm? This like a highway situation.
0: Um, well, I don't think she was on the highway because she's obviously missed her bus, but she's somewhere on the side of the road looking mm-hmm. for a lift.
1: Like any other car,
0: yeah, literally. Like any other. But I think a lot of people wouldn't stop. He yeah. was probably the only person that was stopping because he had ulterior motives and. Was, he was actively looking for these people, but horrible. Um, so he drove her to a remote area and he pulled a gun on her. And I think he originally told her that, I'm not going to hurt you, I'm just going to kill myself and I want you here to be witness.
1: So what the fuck up?
0: horrible, but while she was obviously terrified, she don't, I don't think she thought... She was going to die. Yeah, and I think she was quite trusting of him because at one point he'd actually locked himself out of the car so Echo was in the car with the keys, and he was locked outside. And he managed to convince her to let him back in. So obviously she was young and naive, or he was just really, really charming, and she trusted him. She didn't think that he was gonna. To...
1: That is insane, isn't it?
0: Like that's hot. Like she could have drove away or anything, or like grabbed so the I gun and shot him.
1: Not ever. Yeah,
0: and you think as well, like, if you're getting kidnapped, and you're get held at your will, like. The odds of you them locking themselves at a car like you'd be like oh thank you like, you'd be like to thank my lucky stars like today is yeah, my day and exactly. you'd be out of there but she was just a wee baby like she didn't know, um, so once he was back inside the car he choked her raped her and killed her. Disgusting. Um, he stuffed his her body in his car boot, um, and this time he decided he was going to just stop off at a nearby bar and have a few drinks with his police buddies before going home.
1: Oh my god, that's actually like spot up.
0: Whilst her body was in the car. Mm. No. He basically said that after exiting the bar he opened the trunk to look at the body and he said that he was like admiring his catch like a fisherman.
1: Like in the car park? In the, the car, car
0: park, p- just out in the middle of the day just popped the trunk open and just looked in at her body. That purely, like,
1: was inspected though because, like, if you think or something like that mm-hmm. like, you'd have no need to like, look in someone else's just if oh. you passed it because that could be, like,
0: like the policeman that pulled yeah. him over for the first two, like, he was pulling him over for a taillight. He had no reason to like check his car for a warrant. Ooh, but if he had, silly. he would have and then he probably would have been sentenced and none of this none of these the rest of these murders would have happened. It's horrible. Um, um so not only did he decide that he was so unfazed by killing this little girl that he went to a bar, afterwards he had a parole meeting and he had to attend. And this was the last ever meeting that he had to attend before they were going to release him and expunge his records and all that stuff. So he drove to the facility with Aiko's body in the boot. The whole time he was at the meeting, he was telling the psychiatrist how much better he felt, how he was feeling like he was a productive member of society, he was getting his life back. And they believed him, of course, and finished his parole sentence, and he was a free man.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Sentence done, gone. Even though he killed his grandparents and was clearly fucking unhinged. But that just shows how easy it was for him to manipulate people. Um, so, this poor girl's body is in the car the whole time, and he's basically getting told, Yay, well done, like you're a free man, enjoy your life. And hers has just been taken by him.
1: Oh, this is horrible. It's like just like a series. It like
0: yeah, it's just, uh, it's just <laughs> like hot. He's just folding more and more holes. He just gets so angry. Um, but got back to the apartment, had sexual intercourse with a corpse before dismembering it and disposing of the main remains in a similar manner as the the manner, I can't even speak to the horrible, I'm going that again. <laughs> um, so he went back to his apartment, he had sexual intercourse with the corpse, and then he dismembered and disposed of her, the same way that he did with the other two. Um, and on January the 7th, 1973 he moved back in in his mother's house. Oh my God. So as you can tell this is going to get even worse, because he's now living with her, as well as deciding that he's going to go on a murder spree. Um, so he said he was just driving about Cribillo College Campus and he picked up Cynthia Ann Shawl, also known as Cindy, by friends and family. This time he he just shot her. He skipped the strangling and the stabbing, just went straight to a quick uh, shot. He shot her with a twenty-two calibre pistol. Um, Again, he put her in the trunk and he hid her in his closet this time because his mum was home. So he had to wait until his mum left for work the next day. And then after his mum left, he had sexual intercourse with her, dismembered her, decapitated her and had oral sex with her head.
1: Even overnight, though, we can also just smell it. Especially if she short, mm, shot, because you do I don't not, know. If this isn't a so horrible, but if parts of her like outside of her body. yeah. I think like, maybe,
0: unless he shot her like, well, I don't know what time he picked her up at, but it could have just been a case of he got home at like nine and then the mum went and left for work at like seven, so it was only mm, yeah, a few hours. Um,
1: so that's, so you even the thought of that, like you were in a house and there's like a body in do you, you don't know? even know.
0: Oh. I, the thing is, I don't even think Clarnell would really care.
1: Yeah, she's. Because the way she
0: reacted about like. The cats, for instance, that would have been your first red sign to be like, I need to get my son like seen. I to the
1: house with someone and they killed my pet. Never. Would be gone. I
0: would, I would turn them the authorities. I'd be like, he is going to kill someone one day. Like, get him sorted. Yeah. He needs help. Horrible. Um, and he just left her remains in his mother's bathtub. While I decided what he was going to do yet, he removed the bullet from her corpse and a bid to avoid identification because he learnt that from all these friends in the mental facility about evidence and this how to get bad, away with that
1: years was just like a classroom.
0: yeah literally it was Wait. just like a master class it was like he just went to uni for like murdering and decapitation for about six years and then came out and he was qualified but yeah so in one of the police confession tapes he talks about how he would cut off the hands and feet of his victim and dispose of them separately from the body to make it kind of harder for police to find fingerprints and stuff and identify the victims. So again, he's clearly thinking this thinking out. Thinking about it, yeah. It's not just like it's a, a rage-filled murder spree and then he's like, oh God, what have I done? Exactly. Um Exactly. He also kept Cindy's severed head for several days and just used it to engage in oh oral sex God. with for seven days. I'm assuming that was kept in the closet as well.
1: That is absolutely disgusting.
0: Horrible. Um, then after that, once he's decided that the head was no use no to him, him anymore, to he buried it in the garden in his mother's garden and he said he faced it up towards our bedroom window because he stated that his mother always wanted people to look up to her <laughs> i wish you guys could see Elliot's face right now <laughs> like jaw on the floor so it's all this like everything's going back that to his mom
1: so up.
0: yeah like just weird like
1: that's literally horrific <laughs>
0: It's also he's very symbolic with a lot of the things that he does. Yeah. You'll notice that. What are the movie scripts? Literally, Stein, Stephen King. <laughs> um, he discarded the rest of her body. He just threw them off a cliff. He thought that will do it. Um, and the following few weeks, of course, her remains were found because he didn't really try and bury them or. He just, t- yeah. Yeah. He just, just d- was like, "Bye." Eat them off a cliff. Um, all everything but her head and her right hand were discovered, and. During late examination, a pathologist determined that she'd been dismembered with a power saw. Mm. Which, I don't understand how he was able to get away with that, because there'd be a lot of blood splat. I know he put her in the bath, but that would have took a big clean-up. It would have been on the walls, on the ceiling, like, all his yeah. clothes, like, weird. Um, so, obviously, at this point, police had suspected that it was a serial killer around the area, because now they had four different women killed in all similar circumstances um and they estimated that it was on hitchhikers in the Santa Cruz area students that were at the college and attended the kind of surrounding areas they were advised not to accept rides from like strangers obviously but the police fucked up here because they said only accept rides from cars that had university stickers on them as in ie other students and staff members because you can we'd like to think yes, you can trust Ed. them. But who had a sticker on his car? Ed. Bloody Ed. Because his mum obviously worked at university, so...
1: Even at that, you could very easily probably go buy one.
0: Yeah, I know, I don't or know why they weren't just like, don't... Get, and it wasn't even a case of like, you couldn't even be like, oh, make sure you, you go with a friend because he was killing, There was killing, was killing yeah. groups of two. Oh, mental. And obviously, with a guy that size, you are not I'd be, be with like four something. friends and I'd still be like, we're going home, like, bye. Yeah. Like,
1: well, no. imagine, like Me, you, a
0: yeah. He just pick us up, like two in each arm and just fuck us off a cliff. So scary. Um then we move on to Rosalind Thorpe and Alison Lew. So on February fifth, nineteen seventy three, Ed had an argument with his mother and he was so angry and hated her so much <gasps> that he left his house. So he picked up twenty three year old Rosalind Heather Thorpe and twenty year old Alice Helen Allison. Um on the US UCSC campus. So again, campus people. Young, young students. Uh, he fatally shot Thorpe and Lou again with his pistol, and then wrapped their bodies in blankets. And once he brought the bodies back to his mother's house, he beheaded them in his car and carried the headless corpses into his mother's house to have sexual intercourse with them. And he said he'd done this in the driveway, like outside his mum's house.
1: I was just going to say, how could you even do that in your car without someone? Literally. Payment? So it just
0: shows how not only unfazed he is to violence, but he also. He didn't doesn't care do. that he was going to get caught. Like, anyone could have walked past. Like, he was just, the bodies were in the boot and he was just, like, hacking away at them with his boot wide open in the middle of his mum's street. Luckily, no one walked past, but, I mean, but how? It's... There's just so many things about this case. It's like, you could have got caught so many times and you just didn't, and it really annoys yeah. me. Like, it really gets to me. <laughs> see. I'm having a hard time. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he dismembered the bodies, removed the bullets to prevent identification, and then the next morning he regarded the remains. Uh, some remains were found uh, in like a canyon a week later and then another one was found near a highway but I couldn't find out which, like whose remains they were Right. Yeah. Um. which I'm assuming they just didn't find out they just estimated that it was either one of the girls or a mixture of both That's yeah, of them, isn't it? horrible so again, just no closure for these families, it's disgusting so after all that murder and violence and rampage we got into his last murders of the case this is the big crescendo in Ed's Killings. We've got more two more.
1: Can do now was wondering the Yes. Oh, I know! So, this is oh, the big. Know I
0: just <laughs> <changed>. <laughs> and you're like, yeah! Well, to be fair, she's a bit of a bitch, <laughs> but don't think she did that. A yeah. Um So, if this was a movie, like a horror movie or a, a thriller movie, this would be the big like end scene. The final this is like, yeah, this is like season finale, finale shit. <laughs> yeah, so um, April 20th, 1973, after coming home from a party. 52-year-old Clornell Strandberg was killed by her son, Edmund Kemper. And I'm just going to go ahead and play a little clip and let Ed explain to you mm-hmm. how that went. Because I'm just going to let him break We've it down you. Oh.
2: That was one week before I murdered my mother. I said, she's got to die. And I've got to die, or girls like that are going to die. And that's when I decided I'm going to murder my mother. I knew a week before she died, I was going to kill her. And she went out to a party she got soused she came home went to sleep i was woken up by that i got came out i walked up to her bed she's laying there reading a paperback as many thousands of nights before and she said oh i suppose you're going to want to sit up all night and talk now Shit. i looked at her i said no i said good night Uh, and I knew I was going to kill her, you know? And I'm so cold, it's so hard. And that's the first time in ten years I've looked at it that way. I mean, that intensely, that honestly. It hurts. Because I'm not a lizard, I'm not from under a rock. I came out of her vagina, see? came out of my mother. And in a rage I went right back in. For seven years, she said, I haven't had sex with a man because of you, my murderous son. It's one of our arguments. I cut off her head, and, I'm, and I humiliated her corpse. I said, there, you know? Six young women, dead, because of the way she raises her son and the way her son is raised, the way he grows up. And what's her closing words? I suppose you want to sit up all night and talk God I, I wish I had
0: So um thoughts <laughs> How intense was that? Chat a ways So It's it just it's the like oh, I just it's so much the process like it's the fact that he's really blasé about killing her but then he's crying so like is he upset does he wish he didn't do it but then he's like well I had to and then he's talking about Humiliating her, and it's just
1: no, then he was like, I entered her
0: again. Literally, I was like, that's just too much. I think ugh, him tearing up, he obviously loved his mum and wanted that love back, and I think he knew that didn't happen. Does it give it the right to colour? No, I don't think so. No, is it Clarnell's fault that these women died? No, no, but I also think there is an argument here for the whole nature versus nurture theory. Yeah, I'm not saying that he wouldn't have turned out to be an absolute fucking weirdo if his mum was loving
1: but there's a case for the,
0: it. there is and if he was intelligent enough like it's not as if he knew right from wrong definitely. definitely an IQ of 104 like the things he could have done with his life and what gets me as well he's talking about how all these young women lost a lost life because of the way she chose to raise her son and it's like I'm not condoling killing anyone but I would rather her than eight innocent young women. Exactly. You if know? If she the cause, she, and he you, you knows he knew it from the start, he identifies, like, she's the reason why I did this. Like, mental.
1: Well, that was horrific.
0: Horrible. And his voice is just so creepy. as yeah. well. Like, he's just very... Ugh. But um, after he killed her, again, he'd her dad's head and the clip. He humiliated her, as he put it. Um, yeah, what a the way to describe way that. To
1: say it's that. almost
0: as if he didn't want to say the words. Like, almost as if he was embarrassed. You know?
1: Which goes back again to the. the oh, it's yeah. just a
0: big, big mummy, mummy boys issues, Death and a yeah. big cycle of just horrendous shit. But um, he then used her head as a dartboard. Oh my god! And then he put her head on a shelf and screamed at it for an hour. So, a lot of built up anger and a lot of mummy issues here.
1: Oh my god, that's
0: like, can so you imagine scary. screaming anything for an hour? Can you imagine having that sort of energy and anger in you that you are screaming for a full hour at your top of your lungs?
1: I've never even been that angry that I've screamed at someone. Maybe Maybe I've I've, like slammed a door
0: or shouted, but I've never like felt so enraged that I'm screaming at something for an hour, an hour. And it's not even like it's different because it's not even as if it's like an argument where there's back and forth. It's actually just him screaming for an hour, mental. And then, as he put it, he smashed her face in. I'm not going to get an A. I don't even want to think of how. That happened but he basically smashed her face in, as he said. Um, So this brutal murder, all this anger, all this violence build up towards women because of his mother. He's finally had enough. He's basically got his revenge. He's targeted the source, if you like. Um, He cut out her tongue and her larynx, which is your voice box, and he put them in the, the garbage disposal. (laughs) <laughs> this bit's honestly if this was a movie i'd think it was made up but he put her voice box and the garbage disposal was kind of like a symbolic like now like kind of shut you up like because she was always right. shouting at him that kind of he was getting at that kind of vibe <laughs> But the garbage disposal couldn't break it down and the tongue and the vocal cords got like spat back out the sink at him oh my god <laughs> which i know i'm laughing and it's sick <laughs> but how symbolic is that like, even after death, she's still basically giving him a hard time yeah, and shouting at me.
1: In his head, he's probably, like... Well, he,
0: he, bitch. he touched on it. He, w- he said, when he recanted it later on, he was like, that seemed appropriate. He said, as much as she'd bitched and screamed and yelled at me over the years, like, that seemed appropriate. That the fact that even after death, even after I cut off her tongue in her voice box and stuck it she in the sink, back. she still spat out at me. <laughs> like, you actually couldn't write it. Um, then he put his mother's corpse in a closet and went to nearby bar. And again... Not bothered that he just committed an evil, violent crime. And whilst all this was going on, he was talking about it to his cop buddies. Because obviously at this point, they, there was a known serial killer about the co-ed killer. Everyone was talking about it. And he was just sitting and discussing the case with them. Completely chill. Oh. Like, just, they didn't, he just didn't care. Like, he just, That's um, it actually got to the point, because I'll get into it. But after the last murder, Ed actually eventually handed himself in. And it actually took him two ta- two times calling the police to get them to actually come and arrest them because they were like, oh, Ed, like, you're talking, like, oh, you're pulling her leg. Because they were like, oh, he's just big Ed. Like, no one could see him being this horrible monster because he was just that, that charming. Mental. That baffles me. So, after the bar, he comes home and he then invites his mother's best friend, 59 year old Sarah Taylor, over at the house to have dinner and watch a movie. When she arrived, Kemper strangled her to death. Um, he'd said he did this to create a cover story that his mum and our friend were gonna go on like a vacation together. So like the reason so oh, yeah. obviously he killed his mum now, so yes. the source of his anger was gone. The only reason why he then killed the only reason why the mum wasn't the second the last victim and the reason why he killed the friend was because he wanted to murder the both of them to be like, Oh, they went away on vacation, just never came back sort of thing. Like an alibi. Yes, very, her her. very, very weak. Like, I, never, I didn't really understand this part of the case. Like, I, yeah, I don't but get it to go right, But work. anyway, so he invites her over to kill her to create this alibi. And then he puts her corpse in the closet and left a note to the police. And it read, Approximately 5.15am Saturday. No need for her to suffer anymore at the hands of this horrible, murderous butcher. It was quick, asleep the way I wanted it. Not sloppy and incompetent gents. Just like a lack of time. I got things to do. Like four exclamation marks. So he's leaving this to the police, like, I'm away. Come catch me. Right? Bold. So, after all this, he went on the run. Okay? Now, this whole thing is so ridiculous, and it just shows you how much of a dumb bitch he was. Because basically what he did, right, so he flees the scene, he drove all the way to Colorado, the whole way there he's taking caffeine pills, he's stocked up, he's got three guns, he's got his ammunition in the car, like, he's... He's, he's got ready, right? He's drove over a thousand-mile journey because he thought there was an active manhunt out from him and he thought the police were, like, following him. Right, okay. He then gets to Colorado, checks the news, checks the radio, realises that no-one's looking for him, <laughs> and he just goes to a phone booth and calls the police and confesses.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: So this dumb bitch drove about a thousand miles, <laughs> no sleep, nothing, thinking that the police are on his tail, and then he gets there and he's like, Huh?
1: Ed, you played yourself.
0: <laughs> just ridiculous. Um so he goes to a phone box and confesses and like I said, even more ridiculous, the police didn't take his call seriously at all and basically just told them to call back at a later time. That is a joke. I they are like, Oh Ed, you're just having a laugh and he's like, No, like I am the co ed killer, I've killed these women and they're like, Oh mate, what you like, call back again <laughs> later. Come on. I've got work to do, Ed. ed. <laughs> and he's like, What? So he waits another several hours. And then phones the police again. This time he asks to speak to like a specific officer I think he must have been like, quite close with. Mm-hmm. And he confesses to killing his mother and her friend. And then they arrive, take him into custody. And then that's where he confesses to the murder of the six students. And it was to that's the point like, where he yeah. actually had to sit and like describe it in detail because they just wouldn't believe him. They thought it was like a bet or he was just pulling this. That's point. And it's like, right, it like, gets a certain point if someone's like, I killed these women, yeah. like, I did this, that and that, I dumped their bodies, A, B and C, you'd be like, okay, okay, I think go. I'm going to get you a lawyer, son, just hold on, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um And when, later on in an interview, they asked why he turned himself in, he said, the original purpose was gone, I wasn't serving any physical or real emotional purpose, it was just a pure waste of time, emotionally, I couldn't handle it much longer. And basically this whole thing, like, my mum is dead, so there was no point for me killing and going on any longer. This is honest. I mean, at least he thought so. Yeah, in his mind, his mum was dead now, so there was nothing. It was basically pointless now. He was he was cured in a way, if you like to use those words. I it. Well, so on to the sentencing. Kemper was indicted of eight counts of first degree murder on May the seventh, nineteen seventy-three. He originally tried to go for an insanity plea, I think, to get a lesser sentence. I'm assuming. Um, yeah, he claimed that he participated in cannibalism to try and push that further. But he basically made up a story about how he sliced the flesh off like the legs of his victim and then cooked them in a casserole and all this, and then later recanted it. So don't let him fool you. He's not mentally like insane if he's no. able to come up with all these different, yeah. you know, and he's smart as well. He knows what he's doing. Uh, so that was overruled. Think at the Sadney plea. Three court-appointed psychiatrist found Kemper to be legally sane, completely. Three. Yeah. You know. Which is interesting because on these in his first stunt when he killed the grandparents, it was insanity. He was, he was, diagnosed yeah. with so there's an argument here that technically he was cured and maybe he just a, yeah it was like just a, a born killer i mean really if you think about it it was they were calculated they were thought out yeah he wasn't phased he wasn't going through some like manic episode where he was just going out for hacksaw and hacking people in the street it was yeah. very planned, and there was a clear reason behind it so i don't know do
1: you believe in something like that, well, people that are born evil crap
0: I think some people have a certain, whether it's a chemical imbalance or certain X, Y chromosomes because there's like a thing about how men, like there's two types of men in the world, that scientifically proven to do with their chromosomes, and one's likely to be more aggressive than the other. Oh. Yeah, it's weird, and it, it also depends on like how much testosterone they produce as well. So I think a lot of people maybe just have too much of a certain chemical in their brain and it makes them well, more they, prone they to be. <laughs> kill <all> men, 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, but I believe it. I think there's also a nature. case for nature versus nurture as well. But I think if mm-hmm. you're brought up where violence is normalised,
2: you're going to. Evaluate. You're
0: susceptible to it as an yeah. old, you know. Um. So on November eighth, nineteen seventy three, six men and six women in the jury deliberated for five hours before declaring Kemper sane and guilty on all counts. Now he actually asked for a death penalty, and he requested electric well, chair. He asked for it, and he also asked for death by torture. He wanted to be tortured to death, that was his, like, his plea. However, in the state of California, the year before, this was in 1973, in 1972, they passed a bill on the subspe- suspension of capital punishment. Oh. Thank God, because he deserves to rock yeah. in jail for the rest yeah, of his yeah. life, yeah. but if this, if he'd been captured a year earlier, he probably would have been sentenced to death, and that would have been the end of it. It's an interesting little fact for you. Um, so... As I said, he received seven years to life, and he was sentenced to a California medical facility. Right. So even though he's declared mentally sane, he's still you in a facility. But I don't know if that's just because the severity of his crimes, they probably couldn't put him in a general population prison because I don't think he would have seen Tuesday. Yeah. Especially because it's women it's and like it's, and it's camera, to do yeah. with rape. A lot of like men who are in for like I don't know drug people charges or violent. non-violent. Yeah. yeah. And even some. I mean, they do section them off, but even at that. Um so since his life in prison, Kemper has been described as a model prisoner. They've said he's never again back to the start. It's like a big circle, we're going full circle here. Yeah. Model prisoner, never had any issues, and guess what? He's been trusted with the job of scheduling inmates' psychiatric appointments. So he's not administering Shaking my head. <laughs> he's not administering them anymore like he was in the previous um facility. But he's in charge of basically I think maybe receptionist style thing like booking people in, booking people in, stuff like that. That is insane. Weird. Very very, very weird. Uh, I just think it's so bonkers how they would let him knowing as well, looking at his case and knowing how that was the reason why he learned what to do. You yeah, think he would just scary. give him a job in like doing laundry or something or like exactly. in like prison kitchen. It's <laughs> <laughs> Clean the floors. <laughs> um he also records audiobooks for the blind. He narrate, he's narrated over 700 books, and some of them have been children books, from what I could gather from a you few sources. No, I don't think they get paid, I think it's more like a charity thing, but, oh, right, okay. um, yeah. Which, well, Imagine. I saw it in a few sources. If you count Star Wars as children, yeah. yeah. I saw a few sources, some children books, but other sources said it's just... Um, regular audiobooks but like st- why would anyone listen to that creepy bastard oh, really see,
1: regardless of what he has, his voice is weird
0: like that's the opposite of ASMR to me that would make me like stay up all night yeah. walk <laughs> on my doors <laughs> horrible Um over these years from being incarcerated he shared time with other equally horrible killers including Herbert Mullen and Charles Manson, Manson. so that's nice little serial killer tea party <laughs> going on they're just chilling like and like it, it wasn't like they were in the same facility like they were In and about together, like recounts stories of him feeding Herbert Millen peanuts and stuff, and like pissing him off when he was annoying him. Which I don't think they should all be allowed in the same room together because
1: imagine they were like they're they're obviously clever people. Yeah, imagine they like plotted together. And that's
0: the whole reason why he like goes back to the start where he would learn from serial killers and other rapists. Like, It's weird. But Charles Charles Manson got me. I was like, "Ah." but yeah. So they were they were buddies. Nice little. little Is is He is, he is still alive. Um, He's currently 71. So So not long. Not long. He's actually, he's went through a number of parole hearings. He went one in 1979 was the first one, I think. Um, As well as 1980, 1981, 1982. All have been denied. The last one was in 2017. And that, again, got denied. And now they've set it at the most recent time. He'll be eligible as 2024. And he'll be Quick Maths.
1: Seventy-five. Seventy-five. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Which I don't think they'll let him get out, but surely not. Seventy-five. Like he just wants to So what get sentence? Seven years to life. Seven years to life. So seven counts of life. But, but we usually with these sort of sentences, it's time served. So mm-hmm. like you'll get a maximum amount of so you will get seven years to life. So you'll get I don't know two hundred years with a maximum of seventy served. Yeah. Because usually it's very very rare that you get cases where. There's no minimum served sentence, it's just life and that's you locked away. Usually, it is cases like this with serial killers that they give like inept Nothing life sentences me. where there's no, uh, no parole, no way around it. But for some reason, he's technically he got the chance to be free again. But with his track record of parole hearings, I don't think they're going to yeah. let him out. I mean, it's been god, how many years in 2024 he'll be 75.
1: And they must know that he's like clever, yeah,
0: so and like... they know that he's finessed the system before, so it's not as if he can't do it again. Yeah, and if he's actively trying to get out, exactly, there's a reason for that.
1: Yeah, because Finn said that he served his thing, but that could be a lie.
0: I just think with that much time spending, basically all your adolescence and then all of your adult life behind bars, I don't think you're ever going to be fit for society. I'm sorry. Yeah, neither. Especially when it comes to like violent crimes like this, I think you're just heads away with the wind. Yeah. But throw away the key, honey lock him up, before away the key. So they're not given the life sentence because, death sentence because he doesn't deserve it. No. He should rot in hell for what he did. Is but, it um... Is it? it is in... I think it's only like, three states now. Like Texas. Yeah, I think it's Texas. Um I don't know the other ones. Texas is the, is the main one. But I think most states have outbanned it now. Which, I don't believe in the death sentence. I don't think you should get a quick way out. I think you should Neither. serve your time. I don't think it's... But, I mean, that's a another episode that's up for debate but <laughs> i'll come back to that one <laughs> but yeah that is the case of ed kemper aka the co-ed killer that was wild. did you enjoy that one henry <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot but to... honestly sounds like the plot of some really obscure horror film but
1: yeah that sounds like an american horror story mm, literally Ryan Murphy.
0: total like bates motel like mummy dearest vibes yeah. that whole scenario but yeah he's still in prison still serving his time and personally, I think, I hope he lives till about 105, just so he has to spend all he'll that time. Yeah, mm. always do. I've yeah, weirdly like, old Charles girl. Manson, he, he died two thousand nineteen. Yeah, in 19, I think he was like in his 80s. He had a long he life, and he'd done a fuckload of drugs though. as well. I don't know how yeah. he lasted that long, because that was in the 60s of the whole um, drug culture and stuff, but...
1: Yeah, I think he was almost 90.
0: Mm, probably. But, yeah, hope he rots in hell, and... <laughs> I hope I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as Elliot does. Your jaw is on the... <laughs> I wish we could, like, video this. Your jaw is on oh, the I floor. For the them, on, make a picture. I know, I think well, maybe I should. But then it's, like, camera equipment and stuff. And, yeah, I'm not that techie. <laughs> but, yeah, that's it for this episode. Come back next week for another one. I think... I was talking to Jay. I think I might be doing the Madeline Can case. Ooh. Only because there's going to be an update very soon, I feel. I feel like they're close to cracking the case.
1: Invite me for that one. Yeah, really we could
0: that. do. We could probably do a three, um, three part one, and just have one yes. person pair every part. Yes, that would be fun. But
1: you could do like the thing that happens, the theories, mm-hmm.
0: and then the new investigation. The new investigation. <gasps> Don't put ideas in my head. <laughs> we're sort of we'll money. be here all night. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's it. That. Thank you, Elliot, for coming on, <laughs> and Bye. I'll speak to you guys next week. Bye. <laughs> Where all your darkest fears are gonna come for you